Welcome to the Way of the Bible podcast, inspiring and empowering Christians of all measures of faith to simply believe God and follow Jesus. Join in with our host, Bible teacher and guide, Dr. Philip Zimmerman, as he explores the paths through Scripture that lead to life in the will of God, being joyful always, praying continually, and being thankful in all circumstances, simply by believing God and following Jesus. And now, Dr. Z. Welcome again. This is Dr. Philip Zimmerman and Dr. Z. And you've joined me for episode number 103 of Way of the Bible podcast. So glad to have you with me today. This is our seventh of eight episodes in our 13th miniseries entitled General Epistles, James to Jude. On this episode, we're going to have a conversation with Dr. Nathan Jones. Dr. Jones is the internet evangelist of Lamb and Lion Ministries headquartered in McKinney, Texas. The topic of our conversation today centers around the blessed hope of Christians, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It comes out of Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Given that we've just completed overviewing every book of the New Testament save one, I thought it would be a great topic to discuss before we complete our overview of the entire Bible. On our upcoming miniseries, number 14, we'll overview the book of Revelation, which of course is the last book of the Bible, which ties the whole Bible together. And with that brief introduction, let's get Dr. Jones on the line. I've got on the line with me uh, Dr. Nathan Jones, and he's with Lamb and Lion Ministries out of McKinney, Texas. He's uh, known as the Internet Evangelist on their website. A pleasure to talk to you today, Nathan. Well, Dr. Zimmerman, it's a great blessing to be on your program, and uh, greetings to all those folks who are tuned into your podcasts. Uh, As we say here at Lamb and Lion Ministries, uh, greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope. Amen. Amen to that. Uh, just to even start off our discussion, I did some research on the, on, on the internet and found a very reliable source. And the source was saying that at least 17 of the 39 books in the Old Testament mentioned Jesus's return. And then Jesus's return is spoken of in 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament. And taking chapters uh, in the New Testament, seven out of every 10 chapters refer to his return. Now, I haven't validated this, but when you see the number of chapters <laughs> As I've been going through this podcast, going through the New Testament, I don't doubt that seven out of every 10 chapters refer to his return. Or in other words, one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament teach of Jesus is returning and by inference, encouraging us to live in a manner expecting his return at any moment. And so, uh, Dr. Jones, I'd just like to provide you the opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Lamb and Lion Ministries, and what you were doing in order to uh, fur- further that uh, proclamation of that news. Oh, okay. Uh, well, again, uh, my name is Nathan Jones. You can call me Nathan. That's fine. Uh, I uh, serve here at Lamb and Lion Ministries. We're a Bible prophecy teaching ministry, and our mission is to proclaim the soon return of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ's return is imminent, as he's taught and throughout the Gospels. And so we are excited about his return. We want other people to get excited about his return. So we focus on the 31% of the Bible that uh, that talks about prophecy, especially those passages about his soon return. Like you said, 500 general prophecies in the Old Testament, one in 25 verses in the New Testament are prophecies concerning the return of Jesus Christ. So very, very important prophecies. One of the most prolific uh, prophecies in all of the Bible is the return of the Messiah to come and set up his Davidic kingdom. So that's what we do here. Most people know Lamb and Lion Ministries from our television program, which is called Christ in Prophecy. It's now airing on its uh, 21st season. Uh, Our new director, Tim Moore, and myself host that. We also have a podcast called The Truth Will Set You Free, and that airs weekly. It's been about 13 years now we've been doing that. And so we offer a wealth of information about Bible prophecy. Our website is ChristInProphecy.org. We have newsletters you can sign up for, magazines, articles, videos, both short form and long form, uh, social media, uh, many, many articles and videos to help you grow in your faith in Jesus Christ. So uh, we recommend if folks want to know more about Lamb and Lion Ministries and catch the excitement we have for the Lord's return, then check us out at ChristInProphecy.org. That's fantastic. Thank you, Nathan. And I, you know, the as I've overviewed every book in the Bible up to this point through the book of Jude, and especially in the, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament because the Old Testament, obviously we, we went through the Old Testament first. 
And there is a lot of prophetic texts in the Old Testament, not only in the in, in terms of direct prophecy, but also types of, of characters that are in the Old Testament, the types of events that are happening to these individuals in the Old Testament are also prophetic that being fulfilled in the New Testament. And so when we get to this area of prophecy, you know, a lot of people get, you know, my, my, my experience when talking to individuals about prophecy is their eyes kind of get glazed over and they they don't really know what I'm what I'm speaking of. And it's, you know, it sounds like it's kind of out there and that kind of stuff. And so can you briefly explain to us what prophecy is and why is it important for a believer to be knowledgeable in this area? Well, absolutely. Well, well prophecy is is the future told in history. In other words, God is outside of time. He knows the beginning from the end. You know, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And so the Bible is his story, his victory story, already written, already fulfilled, and, you know, because God's outside of time. So as outside of time as he is, is he's reporting back all of human history up until his victory, uh, but we are linear as creatures. We're created beings, and so we fall along this timeline. So for us, Bible prophecy is still yet to come, but for the Lord, it's old history. Uh, for instance, all the what's called proleptic prophecy, where prophecies are written about things that are happening in the future, but in the past tense, because they're past tense for the Lord. So uh, the Lord wants us to know that he is going to be victorious over evil, he's going to set up his kingdom, and he's going to restore humanity at, with himself like it was in the Garden of Eden. If you remember uh, when God first created mankind, there was no sin dividing him. Mankind walked and talked and had fellowship with the Lord. And so that's what all of human history is, is to get us back to where we can be with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and walk and talk and have fellowship in that perfect relationship. So that's what prophecy is meant to point us to. So there's two aspects of prophecy. There's what's called the foretelling aspect of prophecy, where the Lord is telling us about events that will happen in the future, at least to us. And But there's also an aspect of prophecy called forthtelling, and that's when the prophet would come to a, a town or a city or a people group and warn them of their sins and encourage them and, and lead them and exhort them to repenting and restore that right relationship with the Lord. So we believe at Lamb and Lion Ministries that the, the gift of prophecy today is no longer foretelling because the Bible is a, is a finished revelation of the Lord. But people who have the gift of prophecy today have that gift of forthtelling. They're calling society back to Jesus Christ to repent. And we use prophecies to show them the truth of the Bible. And so that's the gift of prophecy, the excitement we have for the Lord's soon return and to point people to Jesus Christ. That's the gift of prophecy today. That's fantastic. You know, the, the you're, you're talking about God being outside of time and his foreknowledge. Because he's outside of time, he knows the end from the beginning. And because of that foreknowledge, you know, the, the, the foreknowledge is, is, is used several times in the scriptures that people just don't understand that when he says he knew us before he created the heavens and the earth, mm -hmm. I mean, he, is, he has seen us. He has seen you and I today on this podcast since before eternity began. He sees everything all at the same time, but what we would call the same time. And and it, what, what's what's so I think is mind blowing to me is as even as we're sitting here doing this this interview together this conversation together he has seen this before the before the beginning of time and nothing surprises God it's just it, it's just absolutely absolutely phenomenal I'm going to get back to that being in the Garden of Eden uh, with, with God in in a moment but let me get to this next area because you you mentioned this idea of prophecy of foretelling and also of of things that are to come. And we've heard apologists in, in, that use historical records to demonstrate an uncanny accuracy of prophetic events that were written hundreds of years in advance. And of course, they will have the the Bible scoffers or the or the higher critics say, "Oh, of course they wrote that after those events happened." Can you give us the listeners some examples of of prophetic events that happened in history after the scriptures were written that are undeniable? Well, one of the biggest ones, uh, both uh, Pastor Vic and myself and our podcast are going verse by verse through the book of Ezekiel, and we just got up to Ezekiel 28 through, uh, let's see, uh, I think it's 29, and it starts touching on 30 a little bit, but it's a prophecy of the fall of Tyre, and Ezekiel prophesied that because Tyre 
uh, was rich and and powerful and and celebrated the destruction of Jerusalem and, and looked like it was the seat of Satan's throne at the time period around 600 BC that the city of Tyre would fall in two stages. Well, history tells us that Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed the land-based city of Tyre. So the there is a island-based city of Tyre and that they fled to that. The prophecy was so specific that the destruction of Tyre would be so complete that fishermen would be able to spread their nets on the barren land because the city would be wiped off the map. Well, years later, Alexander the Great besieged the city, and to get to the island, he took all the rubble that was left over from Nebuchadnezzar's conquering of Tyre and used it to make a causeway. He poured it into the sea and and walked across that and then started attacking the city of Tyre, and he destroyed it so thoroughly that the island actually sunk, and so it was completely destroyed. And so this prophecy is completely amazing because then fishermen spread their nets over the ancient locations where Tyre used to be. So that's one of the prophecies that the Bible gives that there were just such amazing historic detail, uh, well proven that the documentation, the, these prophecies were wit- written well before they happened. And that's just one of many. I mean, we can get, go, you know, uh, Dr. Tracy, through thousands of prophecies yeah. here. Oh, yeah. But uh you know, I, I find prophecy to be important, and I can give you 10 reasons why I think studying Bible prophecy is important. Uh, for one is the quantity of Bible prophecy. You know, we read that 31% of the Bible is prophetic in nature, and that that's all throughout the Bible. It's the Old Testament, the Psalms, the major and minor prophets, New Testament, First uh, and Second Thessalonians and Revelation, uh, particular passages, uh, Matthew 24 and 1 Peter 3. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. So it's very important that we don't, and it's a real common trend right now for especially more younger pastors, millennial pastors, to discount the 31% of the Bible that's prophecy as unknowable. But yet we read here in 2 Timothy Timothy 3.16 how important scripture is. It's an, it's inspired by God, and it's important for Christian living. So I would say the, the massive quantity, a third of the Bible being devoted to prophecy, makes it an important study. It's also very unique. That'd be the second point. It's because no other religious book in the world has fulfilled Bible prophecies. You can go to uh, the writings of Buddha or Confucius. You can read the, the Muslim Quran or the Hindu Vedras or the Book of Mormon, and none of them have fulfilled Bible prophecies. I mean, we're talking about prophecies about uh, the rise and fall of towns and cities and nations, whole empires, various political leaders, and, of course, prophecies pointing to the Messiah just like the prophecy about the fall of Tyre, Isaiah even named Cyrus uh, 142 years before Cyrus came on the scene. So there's many prophecies that point to the uniqueness of, of the Bible, that only the Bible has fulfilled Bible prophecy. Uh, the third point I'd encourage people to study prof- prophecy is that it validates the scriptures. It's one of the best evidence for the inspired word of God, because you have hundreds of fulfilled secular prophecies, like I said, pertaining to all those towns, the fall of Babylon, the rise of Medo-Persia and its fall, uh, the fact that the Jews would be in captivity for seven years, the fall of the great Gentile empires in Daniel 2 and 7, uh, how uh, the destruction of Judah and Israel was foretold by Moses in Deuteronomy in 28 and 29 years ahead. So prophecy by being fulfilled validates that the scriptures we have are indeed the word of God. So uh, that'd be the third point. The fourth point that I'd encourage you all to study Bible prophecy is that it validates Jesus Christ. It points to the fact that Jesus, who he said he was, he is the Messiah. He's the son of God. He's God in the flesh. You know, there were 300 prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus and 109 separate and distinct prophecies about his first coming. And every single one of them were fulfilled. I uh, One of a short videos I did, uh, they're called Bible Prophecy Insights, they're minute-long videos, and I, I had to, they're all computer animated, I had to animate this because it was so important, is that, uh, so we're going to take uh, eight of the 108 prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus' life. Uh, there was a mathematician, his name was Peter Stoner, and he calculated the probability of all eight 
being fulfilled in the life of one person is one in 10 to the 17th power. So that's that's a one followed by 17 zeros. And Stoner had came up with this really good object lesson. He said, take the entire state of Texas and fill it two deep uh, feet deep in quarters. Then take one of the coins and mark it and throw it in and then mix it all together and then send a blindfolded man into Texas. The odds that the very first coin he picked up would be the coin with the mark. That would be the one. That's one in 10 to the 17th power. So that blows the mind. That's it. That's impossible, right? Unless the Lord Jesus is divine. And not just eight of the 108 prophecies. All 108 prophecies is a number incomprehensible. So we know then that the Bible is validated. Uh, it validates the fact that Jesus is divine. So prophecy is very important there. Uh, the fifth point I'd make about prophecy being important is the fact that it reveals the future. One of the, the more common understandings of prophecy, it it serves to tell us that what God wants us to know about the future. Uh, you could read Deuteronomy 29.9, for instance, where it says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of the law. Or Amos 3.7, uh, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. So again and again, we're told that prophecy, like say 2 Peter 1, 19, is a light shining in a dark place. And, and the Lord said in 1 Corinthians 2, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared to those who love him, which the Lord said through Paul. So we've got again and again, the, the Bible reveals the future for the purpose of giving the Lord's children encouragement for what lies ahead. So that's okay. five of the points. Uh, the sixth point, I would say prophecy is important because it's a very effective tool of evangelism. Uh, for instance, the Philip the eunuch in Acts chapter 8 used the prophetic passage about the suffering servant, which points to Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53, to teach that Jesus was the Messiah, the, the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. So he used it to lead the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. Acts 2, when, when Peter gave a, the very first gospel message on the day of Pentecost, it was absolutely filled with prophecy, and it led thousands of people to come to Jesus as their Savior. So fulfilled prophecy is a fantastic tool of evangelism, and we here at Lamb and Line Ministries use that tool all the time to reach people for Christ all over the world because it's effective. It, it's it proven prophecy proves the gospel and it points people to Jesus Christ. Uh, it also, seventh point here, prophecy is an amazing tool for moral teaching. Uh, people often look at the fact that the Hebrew prophets were, again, forth tellers as well as foretellers. They called the people to repentance, to true worship, to social justice, to personal holiness. Uh, say 1 Samuel 15, 22, he told them that obedience is better than sacrifice. And there's other prophecies that show the importance of restoring storing that fellowship between God and man. And it can only be done by humbleness and repentance and turning to Jesus Christ. So uh, prophecy is a fantastic moral teaching, very important. The eighth point is that, that it generates spiritual growth. Uh, prophetic knowledge encourages uh, patient waiting upon the Lord to return. It provokes earnest watching. Matthew 24, multiple times the Lord says to watch and be ready and, and look for his return. It, it inspires dedicated work, uh, gospel work. Second Timothy 4, 7 through 8 tells us that we are, it inspires us to serve the Lord. Uh, Paul said, I fought the good fight. I finished a course. I've kept the faith. And there are future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. So it's exciting that it encourages you to, to have, and it has hope. It, the whole point of our ministry is we point a lot to Titus 2.13 is, is the knowing that Jesus is coming to rapture the church up to heaven is our blessed hope. It's, it's meant to give us hope about the future. It exhorts us to holy living, to behave properly in the day and, and to live good and godly lives while we wait for the Lord Jesus to return. So prophecy is very important for that. Uh, the ninth point I would say that prophecy is important is it help us understand what's going on in the world. I mean, the world is insane right now. Evil is called good and good is called evil. And Jesus said in the end times leading up to his return that the world would be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. 
a time of violence and great evil where every thought and inclination in people's hearts is to do evil. And so we learn from prophecy that current events are falling into place just as the Lord prophesied, that they are meant to point us to the fact that we're living in these birth pains era, as Matthew 24 teaches, that we're getting closer and closer to the Lord's soon return, and that First uh, Timothy 4 one says the doctrine of demons would increase and the church would get more and more apostate, and we're living in those times. So it helps, prophecy helps us understand current events. It also, and the 10th point I would say is it it's a signifier of the season we're living in. It provides definite signs that we can watch out for that signify the seasons of the Lord's return. Now, again, here we here at Lamb and Lion Ministries do not believe that we can know the date of the Lord's return. He said it many times, only the Father knows when Jesus Christ has returned. But he did tell us that we can know the season of the Lord's return if we're aware of the signs to look out for. Uh, Paul, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6 said, Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in a night. But he says this, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep or be ignorant as others do, but let us be alert and sober. So the, the Lord's saying here that the world's not going to understand what's going on. Uh, they don't understand the signs of the times that point to the Lord's return. But if you're a child of Christ, uh, we're not ignorant. We the, the days aren't going to overtake us. We are aware of what's going on in the world. So prophecy, point 10, is a very important signifier of the season of the of the era that we live in. So, uh, uh, Philip, that's what I would say. Those are the, the 10 main reasons I would say that prophecy is very important to study. That's, that's fantastic. You, you, you've covered a lot in those 10 points. And, you know, I had a, a question here for you. What is the significance, significance of God knowing the end from the beginning, both in terms of the Old and New Testaments? And I think that you really address that. Uh, because what I was getting to, I think, in that question is that the times that we're living in today, right, is explained in pro- there's just there's nothing new under the sun. If God knows the end from the beginning, he can he already knows what's going to happen in every generation, in every moment across the whole cosmos. You know, when stars are being formed, he knew of that before he ever created them. And he knows the day that the star dies. And and so on that macro scale, you bring it down to the micro scale here on the earth, and it's, it's the same way. You know, I think that the, the, the formation of Jerusalem, as an example, or the, re, the re-establishment of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, the fact that Israel is even back in existence. I mean, it's the only nation in world history that was wiped off the face of the earth. You know, I mean, it was just wasn't there. It was, it, was, it was inhabited, but it wasn't inhabited for a long time. But mm-hmm. oh, in, in 19, what, 47? 48. 48, the, you know, they, they said— they just the, celebrated their 75th anniversary. Their 75th. The, the UN, I guess, signed a charter that said Israel is back in business. Oh, 47. Yeah, that was in 47, <laughs> I believe November. Yeah. And so all 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 the Jews, all the Jews that would care to return to their homeland return. And then of course the Seven Day War, and they recaptured Jerusalem and and established it as their capital. And of course, the United States finally recognized uh, under our, our past president that then moved our embassy there to Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. It's just a I mean, that, that, that just doesn't happen. It has never happened in world history where a people have been regathered and, and, and have reconstituted their, their, their native language because they were all speaking whatever they were speaking in the world. If they were living in, some, in Portugal, they spoke Portuguese or whatever. They weren't speaking Hebrew. Well, they're speaking Hebrew today in, back in Israel. It's just, it, is, it is a pretty amazing thing of, this, of God knowing the end from the beginning and putting it in there that he would call his people back to, his, to their land, which he has. Absolutely. We call that in Bible prophecy circles, Israel is the super sign or God's prophetic time clock. You look at Israel, you know what's going on in the world. Matter of fact, Jesus said the generation that watches the fig tree rebloom, and he's using fig tree as an example or a representation of Israel. When when the fig tree reblooms, that's the generation and the era, the people group, in other words, that will see the Lord's return. Now, 
Israel became a, a nation again in May 14th, 1948. It just celebrated its 75th anniversary. So people say, well, it's generation uh, 20 years or 40 years or 70 years or 80 years. You know, we're not talking about an exact generation here. Use the, the Greek word genia for uh, era or time period. So we are living in the era or time period where Israel is a nation again. And it's amazing, too. You, you read through Isaiah and other passages tell us that, that Israel would return in unbelief. Now, 75% of the Jewish people in Israel right now are secular humanists. But you can read prophecies, say Ezekiel 38 and 39, about the this giant war that will happen in Israel one day called the Gog and Magog War, where Russia will lead Islamic nations to attack Israel, and God will step in and supernaturally destroy these armies with Old Testament hail and fire and, and earthquakes, and the armies will turn on each other. And it says the result of that is that the whole world will know the Lord. So this sounds very post-church age, but that also that the Jewish people will give up their secular humanism and they'll turn to the God and they'll start calling on God. And then all the Jews of the world will leave their countries and congregate in Israel. Now, they won't have accepted God's son, Jesus Christ yet, but that's what the seven-year tribulation time period is in part for, is to lead a remnant of the Jewish people to know Christ as their Savior, the Sad thing is another Holocaust is coming. The Bible prophesies two-thirds of the Jewish people will be killed, but another third that survives will live on outside of the tribulation time period. They'll accept Jesus as Savior upon his return. They'll cry out, Baruch Mabach, Hashem Adonai. In other words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and the Lord will return and will defeat uh, the world leadership. The Antichrist, the false prophet, will send Satan to a pit. And then we'll enter into this millennial kingdom state where Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And those who survived the tribulation and accepted Christ will go through this called the sheep goat judgment, where the sheep are the righteous and they will live on into the millennial kingdom and repopulate it. And we, the church, who are raptured off this earth before the tribulation, will return with Christ. We'll watch him have this great victory, and we'll see Jesus set up his kingdom. And we're promised in scriptures that we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ throughout that millennial kingdom and on into the eternal state in our glorified body. So uh, that's uh, the prophetic timeline in a nutshell. It's meant to, to give us this great hope that Jesus is returning. So yes, Israel is the super sign. If we look at Israel, we know how all of Bible prophecy, for the most part, will lay out. And I believe that as well. And and I think that the, the perspective, you know, there's a lot of different views on the end times of what's going to be happening at the end times. There's some that believe that, you know, if, if we if we proclaim the gospel to the entire world and the entire world comes to faith, uh, that that then Jesus will return. He's not going to return to to judge the world. He's going to return to a world welcoming welcoming him. And of course, that's not how the Bible puts it at all. Uh, and then once you get into the idea of a rapture or a harpazo of of the snatching away of believers, there's lots of different views on that. Some people believe it's a as yourself and I do. It's a pre-tribulation rapture. We're going to be harpazoed out of here before the tribulation. There's others that believe, well, it's going to be mid-tribulation that you'll be harpazoed out. And then others believe, well, it's going to be, you're going to go all the way to the end and you're going to be called up into the air and meet Jesus in the air and then you're coming right back with him. Well, he... <laughs> that's... anyways, and that's called post-tribulation uh, harpazo or post-tribulation rapture. And you're presenting the pre-tribulation rapture perspective, which I happen to agree with. And But it is a, it is a, admittedly, it's a minor, uh, I guess, uh, view within Christendom itself. And I think that's part of the, the problem or part of the issue is that within Christendom itself as a whole, you know, the the how many people really recognize of this, as you call it, the blessed hope uh, uh, that Paul that Paul wrote in, in Titus 2.13, that the, the blessed hope, it, it, there's very few people even re recognize that. But I, I want to get back to the, okay, I'm going to get to the eternal state in a moment. But many people wonder, you know, when, when it says as in the days of Noah, as an example, it's going to be, Jesus said, it's going to be like in the days of Noah. Uh, and then, of course, in the days of Noah, the wickedness on the earth was so great that, that you know, God just, you know, he, he, what did he do? He had Noah build an ark that would contain the people who desired not to go through whatever was coming. And so Noah preached repentance for, I don't know, 110 years while he was building the ark. and. 
No one got on. And he finally, at the end, he says, you know, get on. <laughs> you got to get on. But no one got on. And and so Noah got on. And then God closed the door. And then for seven days, it didn't rain. It didn't rain for seven days. So people were still probably going, think like what a fool he was. He got locked up in his own boat and whatever that thing is, because it never rained on the earth, right? So they're still wondering what this vessel is. And then the storm came and they were all, you know, so we were, so the church, so in regards to the pre-tribulation rapture is that, and this is one of the reasons why I believe in this, because it's going to be as in the days of Noah, that we will be taken away and to be in Christ in the, in the air, right? Because he's going to call us from the air. We're going to go get in the ark per se. We're going to go get in Christ in the air. And during the seven days, it didn't rain for seven years on the earth. There was going to be some pretty bad things happening. And that ties back into what, you're, what you were saying in regards to the wickedness on the earth. Because once the believers are out of here, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, not that the presence of the Holy Spirit won't be in the world, because he's still going to be in the 144,000 Jews who have been uh, uh, changed by the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses in the world. They'll be in the world, but the but the far majority of all well, of the believers are going to be out of here. And the, and the influence of the believers, the influence of the Holy Spirit in believers to other people, to the causes that they they support, to the ministry work that they do, are, is not going to be here. And so the enemy, the devil, has his way at that time to do whatever he wants to do. And I think Jesus put it best in Matthew 24 when he was talking about <clears throat> he's going to come like a thief. He says, if a master of a house knew at what time the thief was coming, he would have been ready. Hmm. Well, who's the master of this house? Who's the master of the world? Who's the prince of the power of the of the air? Who's the ruler of this age? The devil. No one knows, not even the son, and not even the devil knows when he's coming back. But he knows he's coming back. And as in the days of Noah, he knows that God, it's, it's going to reach a point of wickedness in the world where God says, that's it, you know, closing time. <laughs> you know, at the last call. And then we're closing this thing down. He doesn't know when that's going to happen, or else he would be ready. You know, he gave the he gave the devil four hundred year warning when he told Abraham, "I'm going to put your your people in bondage for your descendants in bondage for four hundred years, and then I'm going to return them to this land." And so, then what do you see in the land when they go to return to the land? Except the Nephilim are back that were that were there in the days of Noah, and they encountered them, and that's why the Israelites didn't want to go into the Promised Land because the ne descendants of the Nephilim were there, the giants were there. Uh, you know, we're, 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 we seem like grasshoppers. To, they seem we seem like grasshoppers to them, in, in our eyes, and to them, we are grasshoppers. <laughs> and so, I think that that all that all just goes goes right together with this again with a pre pre tribulation rapture perspective, which I agree with. Uh, do you have any comments on any of that that I've just just said? Well, yeah, a lot of people. It's interesting, but when you had the Jesus movement back in the late 60s, early 70s, there was a revival of the the love of Bible prophecy, uh, Hal Lindsey's late great planet Earth. Uh, you speak to a lot of people from my parents' generation who uh, really were excited about the Lord's return. Uh, unfortunately, some date setters came out and started prophesying, you know, like uh, what Wisenap was it, who, uh, 88 reasons why Jesus will come back in 1988 and when he didn't come back in 88, he released another book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Come Back in 1989. You had Harold Camping come out with three different dates, and they were all wrong. So again and again, we get these, these date setters who don't read Matthew 24, where Jesus said, no one can know the day or hour, and they they ruin Bible prophecy for people. They, they make prophecy seem weird and absurd, and so people give up. And I was talking to a, a coworker a few years ago, and she was telling me that because she was you know, considerably older than me. And she says, yeah, I remember really being excited about the Lord's return, but then it never happened. And all these all these false dates came and went. And so I gave up. I gave up. But if you turn to Second Peter 3, verse 8, it says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the day uh, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as a day, not is, but like, you know, like a thousand years. In verse 9, the Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some consider slowness. He is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So for 2,000 years now, the Lord has been slow and patient. He, he wants everybody in this church age to come to know him as Savior. 
you know, if he was quick and he did it in the first century, well, you and I wouldn't be alive and we wouldn't get the opportunity to be saved. So the Lord is slow. It seems like it's taking forever because we humans with our limited 70, 80 year lifespans, it seems like it's taken forever. But for the Lord, the last 2000 years has been like two days to him. You know, it's nothing. It, it goes by when you're an eternal being, what is 2000 years? So for us, it seems like it's taken forever. But again, it's a, as we discussed earlier, it's a promise that's grounded on the fact that Jesus Christ said he would return. Again, 300 general prophecies, 109 specific prophecies about Jesus' first coming, all came true, 100%, statistically impossible unless it's divine God. So the 500 general prophecies in the Old Testament and the 1 in 25 verses in the New Testament that talk about Christ's second coming have to come true. Because if he's got 100% track record of accuracy, we can be 100% sure that Jesus Christ is returning. So I encourage those people, uh, Dr. Philip, if, if anybody is having trouble and, and they're losing faith that the Lord's going to come back, to go to 2 Peter 3 and realize that the Lord is being patient with us. He's He wants everyone to come to repentance, but also God's wrath, he kind of compares to a, a goblet. And as it builds, it fills up that goblet until finally it's overflowing. And when it's overflowing, that's when God's going to act. We got to remember that there were hundreds and hundreds of years leading up to the flood where the people were evil and and the Lord was giving them every opportunity. He gave them, like you said, a hundred plus years for them to listen to know and repent and return to him and get on that ark, but they wouldn't do it. Likewise, the Lord is is working his wrath, is, is filling up that goblet, so to speak, till it overflows, and that's when the tribulation time period will come to this earth. Just like the flood, God's wrath will be poured out on this earth. And so in the meantime, as, as we read earlier, some of the reasons why we study prophecy is so that we can share the gospel with the people in the short time we have and, and forth tell, get them to repent and, and turn to Jesus Christ while the time is short. So folks, don't lose hope. Don't lose. Uh, be discouraged. Jesus Christ will return. It's an ironclad promise. Very good. Uh, I want to go back to your your brief comment on the eternal state, because again, you know, a lot of Christians believe that, well, they're actually preached from the pulpit, that when they die, they go into heaven, and they, it's just kind of like this cloud experience, and you're like the angels in heaven. And, and, and most Christians I run into have that view, think, this is, that would be so boring. Why would I ever want to do that? You know, when I, I taught high school students and, and a lot of their reactions was, look, I'd rather be in hell where the party's going on than be in heaven playing some harp on a cloud forever and ever. And that's not what the Bible teaches at all. That's 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 a pastor not being aware of what he's even saying in regards to what the scriptures are saying, because the scriptures are promising us an eternal state. And so if you can just talk about that a little bit, even, even because it's after the thousand years, it's after Satan is released from his bondage, then Satan, then it comes to the great white throne judgment. But the eternal state itself, what what is there, what is our, our desire in our in the hope? What does knowing that the eternal state is coming do for us? And so if you could describe a little bit on what that eternal state is, as far as the Bible describes it, what's it supposed to be like? Well, that, that's very important because, you know, it's interesting. A lot of the prophecies in the Bible concern Christ's millennial kingdom. Uh, six times in Revelation 20, we're told that Jesus will rule on and reign on this earth for a thousand years. So most of what we know about what happens after this church age is going to be concerning that millennial kingdom. We only have two chapters in the Bible, uh, Revelation 21 and 22, which tell us about the eternal state. Uh, on our website, ChristinProphecy.org, we have a number of articles and videos that teach you uh, what happens when you die. And you're right. There's a, a, a quite a lot of misconceptions out there that have led people to uh, think that the afterlife is, is scary or boring or uninteresting. Uh, and it, it, they're misconceptions that people have. Uh, for instance, uh, we hear about annihilation, that that we're, when we die, we'll be annihilated and we won't exist. But Jesus said there's an afterlife. Luke 16, Revelation 20 proves that there is a life beyond this life. Uh, we have, the, especially the Hindus, teaching reincarnation, that we're going to come back again and again and again and all become gods. But Hebrews 9.27 says, just as man is destined to die once, 
and after that to face judgment. So we're not going to come back again and again and again. Or uh, purgatory, very popular teaching in the Catholic Church that we suffer for a time to purge ourselves of our sins before God will let us into heaven. But doesn't First John one seven say the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sins? Or uh, Ephesians two eight and nine by for it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this not from yourselves it's the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast so no purgatory is a Catholic teaching came up hundreds of years after Christ we're not going to suffer in a purgatory uh, another false teaching or misconception is this idea of soul sleep that not only is your body buried in the ground but your soul is buried with their body and you're 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 trapped in this decaying corpse until the Lord resurrects you, which is totally wrong. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. So in other words, your body might be put in the ground, but your soul, the, your spirit, the, 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 the real you, goes to be with the Lord when you die. So there isn't soul sleep. Uh, Hollywood, I think, is really popularized uh, that we'll become angels one day, one day. If you remember Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life, that we'll we'll get our wings and uh but Hebrews 1:14 tells us that are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation or 1 Corinthians 6:3 do you not know that we will judge angels how much more the things of this life so no we won't become angels angels will actually serve us uh, humanity since we are created in God's image and you're right i think the worst uh or one of the worst misconceptions is that Heaven is an ethereal world. It's a spiritual only world. And we're going to sit on clouds and we're going to play harps all day long. And that to me doesn't make sense. Like if you're a spirit, how do you play a, a harp? But there's this idea. It's a Gnostic idea. It's a, a heretical idea that the material world is bad and spiritual world is good. And therefore the eternal state couldn't possibly be uh, have any material to it. And that's a Gnostic idea. It's Greek. It's not biblical. And then, of course, you've got, I think, the greatest misconception about the afterlife is that we're all born good. We're all born heading to heaven. And if we just do more sins than we do good, then we're going to go to hell. But that is nuts because John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. So we're actually born on the road to hell and we need a Savior, Jesus, to rescue us from his wrath. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, our sins are forgiven and we're saved and we're no longer on that path to hell. Instead, we're on that path to heaven. So uh, those are some misconceptions that culture and, and false teachers have given us to confuse us about the afterlife and for the very purpose, for us not to be excited about it. But when you read what the Bible has to say about the eternal state, it's fascinating. Luke 16 and 23 tell us that when we die, we are immediately ushered into the presence of Jesus Christ by his angels to heaven. So we're not trapped in the earth. We're not reincarnated. We are brought directly to the our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we're with him, we're giving uh, what some theologians call an intermediate body. It's a it's a real body. It's not a ghost. You can be recognized. It's it's physical. Uh, we're, we wear robes. You know, why would a ghost need to wear robes? Uh, we're, we're given robes and clothes. So we're tangible, physical bodies. Uh, we will be with the Lord until the resurrection or the rapture of the church, uh, same event, where the Lord will take the dead in Christ and resurrect them. And those of us who are alive on this earth will be raptured up with the Lord to heaven. We'll then get our glorified eternal bodies, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17 says that the Lord will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then after that, we who are still alive in our life will be caught up. There's that word rapture, rapio, her or herpazo, caught up or raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And while we're in heaven, the Lord will have this tribulation, the seven-year tribulation time period on this earth, but we will be in heaven with the Lord and we'll experience at least three things. One is called the judgment of the just, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10. It's a, it's a judgment for rewards, not for salvation, since we're already saved. It'll be a time of, of the Lord giving rewards, uh, robes, names, authorities, crowns, uh, positions will all be there. 
I will also celebrate with the Lord the marriage supper of the Lamb, this great celebration of the church being reunited with their Savior. And then we will also plan to return with Jesus Christ to come back to the earth. And we'll come back with the Lord. We'll see Jesus himself just speak, and the Antichrist armies will melt, and Jesus Christ will send the Antichrist and false prophet into uh, the lake of fire and Satan to a deep pit. And uh, he will then set up his kingdom on this earth. He'll restore the earth from the ravages of the tribulation. And there we're promised to rule and reign with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. At the very end of the millennial kingdom, Satan will be released once more. And he will rally those born during the millennial kingdom who will choose to reject Christ. But the Lord will send fire upon them. That's it. It's over. Uh, then he creates a new heavens and a new earth in the super city called the New Jerusalem. And the New Jerusalem, we read in John 14, 2, the Lord said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And, and folks, read Revelation chapter 21, because it describes this massive city. It's 1,500 miles cubed. Its streets are of pure gold. Uh, it's got the foundations of 12 layers of stones, like precious stones. It has 12 gates made out of pearls, and the throne of God sits in it, and the, the light from God emanates out and lights the city. The river of life and the tree of life come before that throne, and it says in uh, Revelation 22, 5, that, it's, that the Lord is so bright it doesn't even need the sun. And that it will be our new home that will be on a restored new earth, and we will dwell with the Father in perfect fellowship forever and ever. And that is the eternal state. That is a beautiful thing to look forward to. And I know that in that when, when God says he knew us from before the foundation of the world, that he knew the true us. And one of the things I've been talking about on my podcast is that, you know, we're, we're, we, we have been impacted by sin. One, we were born into sin. And two, we've We've committed sins in our life, and we're we've had sins committed against us in our life, and all that affects our the way we think and the way we're acting, and all of that is going to be stripped away, and God is going to restore us to what He knew of us, who we are really are, not just who we are on this earth, who we really are, who He knew before that. That's who we're going to be, and I believe that's when He gives us the white stone with a new name written on it that no one knows except Him who gives it and Him who receives it. And 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 we are going to be our true our we're going to be our true selves without sin. So if you could ever wonder, imagine in your mind opportunity if you could go all the way back to the beginning and be like Jesus when he was born without sin and lived in the world without sin all the way. That's where we're going. We're going to be born again in that sense, in a in to, to totally back to totally back to the beginning of our of how who God knew who we were. And we will, and we will, oh my gosh, it's just going to be unbelievable. It's going to be unbelievable. Amen. Amen. I mean, think about it. Our, our bodies are degrading. They're getting older, uh, but in our glorified bodies, they're eternal. Now we still have to eat from the tree of life to sustain them, but that keeps us connected with the father. You know, we at least yeah. once a month have to go visit them and eat from this tree of life. It says we're, we're our physical, tangible, perfected bodies. Uh, no contacts or glasses needed. Uh, it says the, the deaf and the dumb will hear and speak. Uh, my, my youngest son, uh, Zachary, his name is, he's autistic. And I he's 19. I've never heard him had a conversation with him. But I know in the eternal state that he's going to be restored and he's going to speak and he'll be intelligent and, and we'll have conversations and I'll, I'll get to enjoy the real him forever and ever. Uh, we'll have powerful bodies. Uh, we no longer will be tied to the sin nature. The death of these earthly bodies is also the death of our sin nature. So we'll have no desire to rebel against God anymore. And, uh, you know, brother, Jesus did things that to his resurrected bodies, the template, you know, he just show up in rooms and he ascended to heaven. And, you know, maybe we'll get to, to do that. Maybe we'll, you know, if, if, the new Jerusalem is 1500 miles cubed. I mean, that'd be some elevator. Maybe we can fly, uh, you know, maybe we can ascend or just appear here or there. So I think, uh, uh, the Bible tells us, and again, this is why we have so much hope and so much excitement because the Bible tells us that this is how time will end. It won't end with all the evil that we see today and all the corruption and the nonsense day and out. Now we're going to live in a perfected new Jerusalem on a new earth with our, our God who loves us and our, our Savior who is willing to die for our sins. 
that should get us excited about the future. Amen. And let me let me just uh, close our conversation today by saying that is the desires that the the apostles have written in the text of why we would live a godly, holy life today, anticipating, knowing what our future holds for us. Why would we ever consider holding on to anything here? And why would we not truly understand the brokenness of the world and treat it as broken and not treat it as, why is that person treating me like that? Well, because they don't know who you know. And the only way that they're going to know who you know is by someone sharing who you know with them. Maybe it's you or maybe it's somebody else. But their problem is is unbelief in Christ. Their, their problem is, is an unrepentant heart. And so, of course, they're going to do bad things against you. <laughs> of course, they're going to hate you. They hated me. You know, and, and, you know, Jesus told us all this in advance. These things are going to happen. You're going to suffer. And in this life, you're going to have tribulation. You know, but but do not fear, I have overcome the world. And I think that that's what Jesus wants us to understand. We have overcome the world in our in our own life, even right now, even as we're living now. So live as an overcomer. Don't live back on the slave plantation of the devil and allow the things of the world to disturb your mind. But as we focus on our presence, even today, being in Christ, on the throne of God, we're actually in Christ right now. Focus on that. Keep our eyes on Jesus and let go of these these sins that that, that that even entangle us into the world today. So I appreciate your time today with us, Nathan. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. And can you just give us, our listeners, one more time how to find out some more information about Lamb and Lion Ministries and, uh, and how they could get in contact with you? Absolutely. Well, if you go to our website at ChristInProphecy.org, Uh, Just click the contact button and uh, all those emails come to me. If you have a Bible question related to prophecy, I'd be happy to connect with you. Also, you can download our Lamb Lion app on all the major platforms and uh, you can connect with that for our TV show. If you prefer uh, watching our television program, you could get it on Daystar. And if you went online, his channel and now the pray.com app. So we have so many different ways to reach people for Jesus Christ, but if I say the best way to reach us, our website at ChristInProphecy.org. Very good. And for the listeners, again, this was Dr. Nathan Jones. He's called the uh, Internet Evangelist on, on the website. So you'll be able to see his picture and get his contact information. And again, Nathan, so a pleasure to talk to you today. I appreciate your time. Yes, sir. It's a blessing to be on. Thank you. All right. Thank you. What a great conversation with Dr. Nathan Jones. I'd like to give him a post-recording shout-out of hallelujah and amen, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, even now, to Dr. Jones for being such an awesome guest and passionate evangelist. I encourage you to look up Dr. Jones and Lamb and Lion Ministries online. On our next episode, we'll take a walk on the beach with Dr. Z and explore what we learned on miniseries 13, that would be from James to Jude, that has direct application on our lives. And with that, thank you for listening. Subscribe, follow, rate, and review the show. Show notes and other resources are found on my website, waythebible.com. Join me on the path. Write me a note. I'd love to hear from you. And let me end this episode as I end all episodes by saying, simply believe God and follow Jesus. Live as a child of light, overflowing with living water and the will of God, being joyful always, praying continually, and thankful in all circumstances. Be blessed, my brothers and sisters. We hope this episode of Way of the Bible has you feeling inspired and empowered to simply believe God and follow Jesus. Remember to search the scriptures to confirm what you've heard today. And join us next episode as we continue to discover together the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden in Christ and be transformed daily by the renewing of your mind. Knowing God's will for you is a life filled with joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. Be blessed.